Good afternoon, everybody. This is Brett Luster once again with the Perspective Through Pain podcast. This is meant to encourage, train, and inspire you. I have a special guest with me again today, Steve Russell. Say hi, Steve. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me, Steve. It is an absolute honor. You probably know more about sports than about anybody I know. And we are intending to talk about sports, fitness today, and how they impact our lives. Of course, with the virus, everything we got going on with that, it's going to be COVID-19 is going to kind of overshadow some things on here. We're all dealing with it right now. But So, Steve, are there any people that stick out to you right now who you figure are really impacting relief efforts with the COVID-19? Any players or even just people in general? Uh, I've seen Oprah Winfrey and I think Bill Gates are doing a lot of money and even got like locally the St. Louis Blues, Jordan Bennington donated a bunch of masks for the hospitals and Kelly Chase was former Blues giving out meals to the hospital workers and Adam Wainwright I know donated a lot of money whatever it was maybe 50, 100 million something like that to uh, players in the minor leagues. That's probably too high there. I forgot how much it was. Maybe it was a million, but still nice of them to do that. Yeah, it's good to think about all the people who are who are giving an uplift right now in COVID-19 relief. I think of Jack Dorsey, too. You know, we're doing this podcast from Highland or uh, Staunton, Illinois, near St. Louis. And uh, Jack Dorsey, he's a St. Louis native. Did Twitter? He's the founder and CEO of Twitter, and he's he's donating over a billion dollars, and uh, that's that's really awesome how people are stepping up. Can you think of any uh, actual games that you can remember right now? Because we think of sports as a as a thing that can bring us into sort of a peaceful place, an optimistic place about the future. Can you think of any games um, in, in the past that really help you to, to connect with sports and to kind of forget about the hard times in life? There's a couple of ones. The older one, of course, is the 1980 Miracle on Ice. An interesting story that the coach is Herb Brooks. And in 1960, he was one of the last men cut. And he went to the movie Miracle, and he, he, had, he had a rough time, you know, cutting the last one. I can't think of the guy's name. I think his last name was Cox. But, but yeah, that, that was a that was a real good story. And then they made that movie, and I forgot what year it was. And Herbert mm-hmm. tragically died before they even like made the final cut. And he uh, died in an auto accident on an icy road in Minnesota. But mm-hmm. that was one. Of course, I never got to see. I was eight years old and didn't know hockey then. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about just before we started recording about the Chicago Bulls. And those teams, how they they were really <laughs> everybody was locked and loaded. Look, looking at those games, everybody was all into those. We're from Illinois, and that's that's a team that the whole country was watching. But especially in Illinois, I mean, Michael Jordan was almost to a, a god figure status to a lot of people, and they pretty well worshipped him. And you know, whenever we we think about all the things that the team did, you know, get it into proper perspective. It's just a nice diversion. It's just a, a nice nice diversion to to look at that and see what they did. What are some of your favorite memories of those Bulls teams? 
pretty dominant teams, but, you know, like, like I always say, it takes a team. I mean, like Scotty Pippen and, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some others right now in the Bulls, but it was mostly, you know, Pippen and Jordan. They were, but, you know, it even took them a little while to win some championships. They had to get through my, my team, the NBA Detroit Pistons. <laughs> yeah, you get the for a while. Yeah. But, yeah, how about Rodman? What do you what do you think about that? Rodman going from Detroit and finally making his way over to Chicago. Yeah, yeah when he was with the with the Detroit Pistons, he was normally got to Chicago and he became some kind of like freak. <laughs> but but he, he was a real good player. He's one of the best rebounders in the game. Yeah, you know, I was just researching him like a year ago or less, and uh, reading a lot about him, and I uh, read his book or about half of it. And uh, he he went through some very tough times, more more than yeah. I mean everybody goes through hard times. But he was, you know, single parent home. Uh, he didn't really know who he was in life. He stole a lot whenever he was a baggage handler in an airport, uh, and he just he really didn't see his purpose, didn't see his use. And in Texas, down in Texas, very impoverished neighborhood he grew up in. And then this guy came along, Lon Reisman. And he said, you know, you, you're going to play for for my team in, in junior college, and then you're going to make it to to uh, the NBA. And Rodman didn't believe it. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But that guy believed in him, you know. And, and what, what's something about community, Steve, that the building blocks of sports that helps to foster community? I mean, maybe you talk about, the Blues last year in that championship run, what that was like, or just any memories you have of community building through sports? Yeah, it, it, it brings everybody together. Like, kind of my wife says, like, eh, when I go to baseball games, like, why are you high-fiving people? It's just you're, you're in that moment of, like, everybody's your friend, shall we say. Yeah. Kind of like this COVID thing. Who knows if we're going to be shaking hands with strangers anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, kind like, of... Kind of like that blues run. Yeah. I mean, everybody got together. The community, you know, everybody was going to bars, bars, you know, restaurants, and everybody's all having a good time. Like, like I went to, I always used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings in Edwardsville, and that that blues crowd that that was like the biggest crowd I've ever seen in Game Seven, and that that even includes the 2011 Cardinals team. You yeah, know, and, uh, like Game Six and Seven. Yeah, I hadn't been to a bar in probably 15 years, but I was. I found myself at Rooster's Pub on Main Street in Staunton, uh, watching the Blues game, you know, getting getting a drink there, getting a little water or whatever it was, and just yeah. watching how people interacted with the Blues on the screen right there. There's probably 50, 60 people in a bar that normally on a Friday night has, has you know, 20 people. And yeah. it was it was this excitement, this electricity, how people came together and you know there, it was just the intensity and the electricity in the air, and people were looking at the screen and, and high fiving each other. People that didn't even know each other, you know, it's that element right there. People I had gone to high school with and hadn't seen in, you know, some of them ten, fifteen years. Yeah. So, tell me a little more about the Blues, because you're you're much more of a Blues fan. You followed them much more than I have. And talk about people getting together. I like it just going to a restaurant. Yeah. And I like the Blues at these watch parties at, you know, Enterprise and Bush Stadium. And, and, you know, I was with my best friend and one of my tri- trivia people. And, you know, I, I think that was like the best time I ever had with anybody. 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this Blues run, you know, it's kind of like your 2016 Cubs, you know. It's like, you know, as, as you know, I don't like the Cubs, but, you know, that 2016, 2016 team, you've seen, you know, all these, like, people, you know, in their hundreds, shall we say, yeah. celebrating. They thought, that, you know, that's, that's what brings people together in these stories, you know. Not even, you know, like you said, the Blues, too, they showed well, I think like Ron O'Reilly's mother. I think she was like ninety something. You know, you, you never think that you're going to get that chance to celebrate a championship. Yeah, I mean, like who, the Blues may not ever do it again. You know. Yeah. Some of your Cubs, they might not ever, you know, win again. Shall we say? The Blues. Time. The Blues waited a while, but I mean, the Cubs. Come on, you got to give it to the Cubs because the Cubs were pushing what nineteen oh eight was it? I believe the last one. So they. Gosh, over a century. So the yeah, Cubs. We, we made the Blues jokes. Like, well, at least the Cubs won 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 a championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, not in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so transitioning back to the NFL draft, and and how community is is a part of that. How it fosters community, just like the Blues did last year in their championship run. So. I was reading an article today on NBC Sports, and it was talking about how, you know, Peter King, he had the mock draft going. And first of all, I went on there to look at A.J. Epinesa, who's an Edwardsville native, only about 20 miles away from where I live right now, and probably about the same from where you're at. So Epinesa, he's scheduled to be about probably predicted number 18 on the first round of the NFL draft. And... uh Hopefully I can have him on this podcast too. I, I messaged him today. Hopefully he gets back with me. Huh. And but yeah, the coaches in this article, the play, the the people in the upper offices, they were excited to just be able to, you know, uh, have the draft at their homes to just be relaxing, to just kind of give hope to people. A big a big point of the article was hope, and that's what Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, is trying to get out that we want to give hope to people. We want to to be a a you know a break from the regular virus that's spreading right now. And do you yeah, feel like right now yeah. it's the NFL? Uh, yeah, that's like the only thing you you hear talk about right yeah. now in the off season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, it's, at least there's some sports we can kind of talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's you can look at at what people have done because the last NFL season was, you know, it ended probably around what early February or late January. So, and then the college football season, of course, ended around early January. So, I mean, these players, they've had all their uh, playing done. And so, I mean, you can grade them on what happened last. So it's kind of like the NFL in a way hasn't skipped a beat. The other sports like your Blues and, and the different teams in, in NHL, NBA, they got to take a break from it. So, hey, what uh, what do you feel like the virus is doing to change the way that sports are played and watched nowadays? Now, like I said, it's just uncertain times right now. You don't know if you're ever going to get to go to a game. Like I, I hear uh, they don't have medication for this virus, and it might take like a year and a half. I think, you know, stuff's going to open by then, but, yeah. you know, will we, will we play and we're talking about empty stadiums, I think that's, like, the only way to go, at least this year, not playing empty, empty stadiums with no fans, you're not going to be playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 
the Major League Baseball threw around the idea of just having the teams play in empty stadiums down in Arizona, I believe it was. Yeah. Do you, you don't feel like that's a good idea? Yeah, and like I said, it's better than nothing. Yeah. But it's, you know, the spring training ballparks, they're small ballparks. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you watch a spring training game, yeah, pop by, it's a home run. You know. Yeah. It's the two big monsters they have now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I feel you know, like, like it's... Let's say Mike Trout. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like like said, he could probably hit a lot of home runs. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe like 10 more home runs he normally hit there. Yeah, I feel like sports is changing in a very big way. And I, th- I think back to the 1990s with Magic Johnson and how he was, of course, HIV positive. And I love how Carl Malone came out and he was honest and he said, look, I, if I'm up there on the court with Magic, I'm not going to be playing 100% because he has that. I don't want to get it. And so that's that's one way in which it's it's changed it too. Yeah, I remember that people just, like, didn't want to touch them, shall we say, yeah. yeah. Thought they'd get something. Yeah. Which is true, too, because, I mean, if, you, if you're if you down post and you're bleeding on somebody, then it's not going to be very pretty. It's not going to be very pretty. You could, you're not going to give your all down the post whenever you're scraping people, you're clawing for every, every inch you can get to the basket. Didn't the NBA in college make a rule after that? Like, if you're bleeding, you have to sit out, like, a play or something? Could be wrong on that, but... I, I know now they have to... I don't know if that's the Magic Johnson rule, shall we say, but... And I know, like, like hockey, I know, like, if the player's mask comes off, the goalie's mask, they have to stop the play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. But I, I know that in the NBA, they do stop play if, if somebody goes to the floor because they got sweat on the ground. They don't want them to... They don't want him to trip on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about role models. I mean, we talk about Magic Johnson. He's a he was he was a role model in the way he played the game and the way he carried himself in general. Uh, are there any you've you've met a lot of famous sports personalities? Who are some role models that you've come across that really struck you? Well, I was younger, it was Hulk Hogan, but then I guess about a year ago, I sent him an autograph, and his, his uh, which I knew somebody that does autographs, uh, his secretary signed it, so he gave me a fake autograph. No way. But, but yeah, I, I know, like, Sting, I think I even got it, I think it's even on his DVD, a wrestler, Sting, uh, he's a real good Christian guy, got to meet him a couple years ago. Yeah. Seemed like a real nice guy, and I don't know, like Kyle Ripken, he, he's still, like, you know, one of the greatest baseball players ever. I got to meet him, too, a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. And I met Frank Thomas a couple years ago. That, that guy's still huge. <laughs> As you've seen, like, them commercials, like, yeah, he's, shall we say, I think he can still play today. Hmm. I think you were talking about, we were talking about one time, I think the 1990s, yeah, those are, those are good years in baseball, you know, you had Griffey Jr., Frank Thomas, and then, you know, I had the McGuire Sosa home run race, and exciting times in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And like you said, with the Bulls, Dynasty there, you know, so I was a Pistons fan. Steve, yeah, 
the 1990s was the time whenever maybe you you can say something on this too but I was trying to I was finding my identity I'm like a lot of young guys are you know whenever they're you know uh elementary school heading close to middle school and it really helped me to find out who I was what I was good at I remember going to the card shop here in Staunton and just it was this tiny it was probably a uh, 12 foot by 12 foot box of a room yeah there. we had one of them too in Highland Illinois yeah way back when yeah and we just I mean a few guys and me we just from school we just go in there and one of actually one of our friends owned it his dad did and man he would give us like a free Beckett magazine you know the ones that tell the prices of the cards yep. and you know you just we'd sit in there we'd talk about cards for like an hour at a time and and we'd see all the cards displayed in the case there. I mean, I think that's one big part about it is that he was passionate about that, and it's something that he had that business. Even if I mean, he wasn't making much money off of it anyway, but it was a passion yeah. he had. Yeah. yeah, and it really, you know, it really helped me to find who I was, uh, who I who I wanted to be. Sports did because there's all these different personalities. There's these stories of people people coming up and in out of poverty out of out of hard very hard challenging situations and then yeah i mean it helped me too a single parent home i lived in you know and and uh but it really helped me to see that you know sports can point you in the right direction it can give you a good outlook for your life it can get you a scholarship if you're good enough it can get you with something that's good and wholesome in your life and so yeah yeah, I graduated in 91, but we had some real good teams in 89 and 90, and uh, I was a water boy for the football and the basketball teams, and and uh, actually I knew from my friends played baseball, and one of their coaches' names was Joel Hawkins, and he was in a fellowship of Christian athletes, and I think it was like, like every week we'd go to a person's house and pray and worship, and I, I think he was one of the ones that, you know, really got me really interested in sports, you know, and you know, the, the, the team, the team, and, you know, like, like, Hey, Hey, that's a nice play you made. Or it's like, yeah, you know, I messed up on that play. Sorry. I'll, I'll get them back again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's encouragement. There's people giving courage to each other. There's a lot of redemption in sports. It's like, even if you aren't even playing the sports or if you're playing the sports and you maybe are not one of the most talented people. Like I had really good friends that, you know, they were passionate about sports, even though they were like not even some of the better players we'll say, but it's something about sports that just brings people together, brings people into fellowship, like you said. And it's, you know, people overlook false. What's the, what's the power of stories in sports really, Steve? What's the, why are sports such a fruitful place to to develop stories from well like i said it's like it's all about the teamwork and you know the the, the highs and lows and like i said i'm blues fan and we we had some this 2019 team it wasn't the best team we had there was a lot of other better teams but they just picked at the right time we we got this goalie who was like stiff on the depth chart just came out of nowhere hmm. and won the series for him that's kind of what sports is about. Sometimes, even you know, my wife says at the time, it's like, yeah, you watch this guy, Jordan, but he's going to be in like another Kurt Warner. Sure mm. enough, he was. Yeah. That, that was when I forgot to say, I got to meet him, and yeah, he's 
He really truly is a genuine person, Kurt Warner. Yeah. I hear that from everybody I talk to who's met him, that he's a stand-up guy, a very faithful, devout Christian man. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, even though he left St. Louis, he still is, well, not now, of course, but he still still is that Warner's coach for for people, and he's still part of the St. Louis community. Yeah. Even though he's in, I think, Arizona now, I think. I mean, he played for Arizona after St. Louis. And he, yeah, he's uh, still living there. Yeah, he led them to the Super Bowl. I tell you what, man, they, St. Louis, <laughs> they did him dirty. Oh, they did him dirty because they, man, he was in there and he had probably, I mean, 99, I think he got in there with them. And he was with them for maybe over four years until they got rid of him. And then those four years, he led them to the Super Bowl twice and he won a Super Bowl with them with arguably the best offense ever in the history of the NFL. And so you <laughs> go ahead and let go of somebody like that who, who did this for your city. Who I just figured on an emotional standpoint to begin with, you know, you got to keep him around for a little longer than four years. Cause his, yeah, I heard there was a couple of things there. One yeah. was his wife at the Grand Show, and she just kind of ran her mouth, shall we say. Now, yeah, I do and, remember that, yeah, how she and went. And then Mike yeah. Bartz, yeah, I think it was, like, too controlling. But, you know, of course, and then another thing is, like, you get all this videotape now and everything. Some people cheat and you see the Houston Astros, but you get all this video. So pe- people know know you now. Like, they know what your tendencies are. You, I mean, you know, these, these ball players, so, they, yeah, they make millions, but they – they really have to study their art. Like, I remember, I think, our Tony Gwynn, he'd, he'd show up for, like, a 7 o'clock game at noon, and I think, like, maybe, I guess, the first hour, he he just watched the videos, and that's, you know, why you become a good player. It, it still takes a lot of hard work and dedication. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that you talk about that bleed over into something like, what we're dealing with right now with the virus spreading around. And they, you can really take a positive out of it, too. I mean, you got the the discipline that sports gives you, like what Tony Gwynn did. You read that all the time. If you want to be the best, you have to discipline yourself. You have to to wake up early. You have to discipline yourself to, to study up, to, to you know see what other people are doing is successful. And, and you have to just... Just be all about the craft and the process. And I think that really helps, actually, in the time, the crisis we're going through right now. I mean, sports brings you together. I mean, this crisis uh, community brings you together. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels there, really, to be prepared. Yeah, it's like I heard about this Jordan Bennington. Uh, the, the, he, he knew this was like his last chance, you know. It's like he, he got a big break because some blues goalies got hurt. And he's like, hey, you know I got to practice all the time and I got to be better. Otherwise, you know, I mm. take advantage of this. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be out of the league for good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, it's been great talking with you, man. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I think we were talking earlier. It's, that really interests me too. You said that North Carolina football has got the, second recruiting class in the nation to which uh, said under Mac Brown, he was the coach of them, that Texas team that beat USC a while back with Vince Young and 
was it Monday White? But I mean that. Yeah, that was another one where this this USC team had a bunch of you know NFL players, and this USC team didn't have much, but Vince Young. Mm-hmm. They persevered and yeah, won a title. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a killer Texas team. Oh my gosh, I saw that national championship game, and yeah, USC they had they had Lindell White, they had uh, Reggie Bush. Remember yeah, that? I Linda White. I, I was, did the, maybe that team had Ricky Williams. Maybe I think the Texans. I'm not for sure on that. But yeah. Well, there's there's a person that ruined his career too. He just wanted to do drugs more than play football. It's, yeah. Yeah. That guy given talent, and yeah. I think he made the NFL a couple of years, and he's like, yeah, I just want to do drugs. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, you said Land Liner. Yeah, Linda yeah. White. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of a receiver they had that was really good, too. But that it, team was, like, one of the best ever college teams, you know, probably not to win a title. Yeah. But, yeah, Texas, Mac Brown, who coached that Texas team, yeah, he he got them fired up. And, then of course, they had that, you know, that dominant Vince Young who could, gosh, he ran over all types of defenses that year for Texas. You know, and then North Carolina, can you believe, man, I, I saw that story. And I have not seen a story that shocked me like that, a, yeah. a sports story that shocked me like that in probably six or seven, six months or a year because North Carolina is not known for their football. I mean, no, the Bears yeah. have a quarterback right now from North Carolina, Mitch Trubisky, but yeah. you know, time will tell. But he's kind of bust right now. But yeah, they had. I think one of their biggest stars is Julius Peppers, who he played, I don't know, like fifteen years in the NFL and is great at basketball and football. Played on the North Carolina basketball team and the football team, of course. Yeah, I got his Bears jersey. Hmm. I actually thought about wearing it for this broadcast. Doesn't really matter because you know nobody can see us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, North Carolina, known for their basketball, but to have the number two strongest recruiting class in the nation, that is, I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, Mac Brown. I think it's his first year there, and you know whenever he was with Texas, he did amazing things. So I'm sure people are sensing that, so they're saying, "Yeah, I'm going to sign up with this guy." That's the thing in college too. Like you could recruit good, but you know the players don't pan out. They don't pan out. I mean, I heard some that like coaches. I think they recruited well, but they just can't coach. I think one of them was actually from around here. I think his name was Ron uh, Zook. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Florida, but they somebody said, Yeah, he just he just can't coach. He's got players that just can't coach. Yeah, I mean he he was hyped up pretty good, but yeah, then whenever he wasn't performing there, whenever he wasn't producing, they wanted him out bad. I remember that. <laughs> that seems to be always the case too. I remember uh, Bobby Knight, yeah, once Indiana got bad, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, this allegation, this allegation, this stuff didn't happen when they were winning. Yeah. I think the same way we went to Texas Tech, too. They were good for a couple of years, and, oh, yeah, something happened. Oh, yeah, when they were losing. Yeah. Interesting how that happens. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Steve. Well, I'm going to go inside and eat some Little Italy's pizza, Staunton Famous, <laughs> with my wife. But uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, I just wanted to encourage, train, and inspire every listener. Thank you, every person out there who tuned into this podcast so this is going to be on my facebook uh, profile 
page. Uh, so it's going to be Brett Luster, author and speaker. Please check it out there. Please go to that page and like it. And also check me out on Instagram. Thank you, Steve, for showing uh, up and just being an amazing guest again. You've been such a awesome guest and a good friend. Yeah, you're talking about that, like, Peppers jersey. Like, yeah, it's something we uh, actually made to do, too, go on location sometime, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, look out for a YouTube channel on this, too, because uh, as soon as we can get that worked out, we will. Just like I say, we bought some new audio equipment for that. So Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and sign off, and uh, thank you, everybody, like I say, for tuning in, and you have a blessed day. Yeah, you too. Thank you, everybody, for listening. See you, Steve.